So if you've got um, if you've got your Bible, I've got our verses there. I wrote those off to the side. Um, so please go ahead and um, you can find those passages: Second Timothy one, Proverbs twenty nine, Matthew nine, and then and then Hebrews ten. And it feels like we're kind of all over the place uh, there, but that's because I wanna um, I wanna talk about three different things. You know, I said I want I want us as a church to be thinking about um, what we want to pray for. Uh, going into the new year, um, and there's three big things I'd like us to be praying for as a church, and so please write these down, and you can we can be praying for these. Number one, as a church, um, I want us to be praying for courage. I want us to be praying for courage. So uh, look at Second Timothy, chapter one, verse seven. Uh, let me get there. Second Timothy, just to the left of Hebrews. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, because I want us, as we're praying for courage, I want us to talk about fear for a second. I think there's a lot of fear going on um, in the world. Um, and there's, there is such a thing as uh, rational fear, and then there's such a thing as irrational fear um, as well. So, uh, But look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. This is Paul. He's written this letter to Timothy, and this... Um, this letter, 2 Timothy, is chronologically the last book that Paul ever wrote. And he's sitting in a prison. He's not under house arrest. Uh, he's sitting in a prison, uh, most likely arrested, uh, um, going to be killed um, pretty soon. Most likely he's, he was arrested by the emperor Nero, uh, who's a very bad guy. And so Paul, what he does is he sends this final letter uh, to Timothy. And these are this is how he starts this letter. Uh, just We're just going to read verse 7. He says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, or your version may say fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline, or your Bible may say a sound mind. And so I want to talk about the, the first thing I want us to be praying for and being people of for this year for 2021 is that we'd be people of courage. Um, and I think courage is often misunderstood. I think, you know, a lot of people think that uh, to, to be courageous means that, that we don't have any fear. Um, or to be courageous means that we don't have any uncertainty. And that's not the case at all. Um, you know, courage is actually when we act in the face of um, or we act in the presence of um, uncertainty. And so I think some people, uh, we're waiting uh, for things to be certain. We're waiting for things to be guaranteed, you know, um, with the with the virus thing and everything or um, with the with the vaccine going out or or with the uh, I don't know job or economy. I mean, you name it. Um, some of us and I think we all struggle with this. We're waiting for things to be certain. And I'm, I want to just gently remind you, friends, there it'll never be the case. In this world, there's not going to be certainty um, in everything, I promise you. And so just remember that courage does not mean that we are without uncertainty. Courage does not mean that we're without fear. Courage means that we are acting, that we're doing what we're called to do in the face of uncertainty and in the face um, of fear. Um, you know, so because even as we uh, start going back to church, as we start meeting together again, you know, I'll, I'll address the elephant in the room. People are 
some people are very nervous. Some people are very worried um, about the uh, the the virus again. You know, what if we get sick? Um, and we're some people are waiting for certainty. They're waiting for a guarantee. And man, I can save you some time. The guarantee is never coming. It's not. Um, I can't guarantee anything. Uh, no one can guarantee you anything. I can make promises. I can make lots of promises, uh, but I can't guarantee them. You know, one of the things that, um, as as a pastor, what I do, uh, I hope you recognize this by now, is there's only one guarantee I can make. There's only one when it comes to me, and that's I guarantee I'm going to let you down at some point one day. That's the only guarantee, right? Um, and, I mean... I can make promises, but I can't even guarantee that I'm going to keep them, you know. Um, and so keep that in mind is that I think some of us are waiting for uncertainty to go away. To go away. We're waiting for fear to go away. Um, some people, it's even possible to, to use fear and, ha and ha put it under the guise or under the disguise of that we're just being cautious. Um, and we don't want to be people of fear. We want to be people of courage and we want to be people of uh, wisdom. You know, waiting for uncertainty to go away, that's a false idol. It's just not going to happen. It's just not. Um, but uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so let me, um, I've, got, I've got these things written down that I've, I've been thinking about this week is, you know, how do we, how do we behave um, how do we live in a way that is wise, um, that's courageous, um, but that's not fearful, you know, because we want to be wise, you know, we don't want to be foolish, we don't, the Lord hasn't given us a free pass uh, to, to behave absolutely anything we want with no consequence, um, he's, we are still subject to the consequences of our actions, and so we want to be people that, that we live in wisdom, um, and we live in courage, but we don't live in fear. And so I've got a couple things here, the difference between courage and fear that I read in a book um, earlier this week. Um, and I want to share these with you. If you've got your pen, write these down. Is number one is that courage and fear um, is fueled by information. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not courage and fear. Courage and uh, wisdom is fueled by information. Um, and fear is fueled by emotion and fueled by imagination. Uh, fear always asks that what if question. Fear is always looking to get rid of all uncertainty, uh, but courage is fueled by information. And so the, the reason this has stuck out to me is that we need to remember um, is that fear ignores logic. It ignores reason. It really does. Uh, I've got, you know, I've got a couple of kids um, and one of them, or both, sometimes it's both of them, uh, sometimes they come out of their bedroom at night after they've gone to bed, and they're nervous and they're afraid. You know, maybe they saw something scary um, earlier on, on the TV or something. And sometimes they walk out and they say, Dad, I'm just, uh, we're, we're kind of scared in our room. And if you have kids, you know this to be true is that they're living in fear in that moment and that fear is is not rooted in reality and it actually ignores logic it ignores reason it ignores information because here's what I, here's what I do every time is I go in and I say hey listen maybe there's nothing to be afraid of and what I do is I hit them I hit them with a 
with information and I, and I hit them with uh, logic and I say, honey, we live in a very safe neighborhood. Uh, we, we live in a very safe city. You know, there's, there's nobody in our house. There's nobody scary in our house. No one can get into our house. And I'm giving them all this information um, that should logically uh, defeat their fear. But what does it do? I mean, think about it. If you've got kids or even if you don't have kids, you understand what does my information do? What does my logic do for their fear? What does it do? Usually it doesn't do anything. Uh, usually because the, the fear has already been rooted in their little hearts. And this is what fear does. It's fueled by emotion um, and imagination. And even even the same can be true as an adult. I mean, think about it as an adult uh, that we can... Um, Gosh, it's so powerful. God, fear is so powerful, and I'm I'm getting frustrated with it. Think about even if you're an adult, if you're at a movie theater and you're watching a scary movie. Think about this. You can be watching a scary movie as a grown adult in a movie theater in a in a town that's completely safe, and you're in this false environment um, that everything is making you feel afraid. Everything is making you feel um, as if you're going to be attacked. Even though you know, in, in, in your head, you know the reality is you're completely safe in that movie theater. Um, but your senses, your emotion, your imagination is assaulted so greatly that, that we, we, we can, uh, it can have an effect on us emotionally. And it can even have an effect on us uh, physically, you know, if you, I don't know if you've ever uh, sat through a scary movie and you realize uh, when the movie is over, you realize you just you're sweaty, or you realize that your heart is racing, or maybe you even realize at one moment that you're just gripping the the seat as hard as you can, and you have this physical response to fear that you don't even you didn't even realize uh, was there. Why is that? It's because fear is extremely uh, powerful, and it ignores all logic. It ignores all information. And so this is why when I say we need to be people of courage and wisdom, not fear, we need to make sure that we are uh, being fueled by information, not by emotion. Uh, the other thing I have about courage versus fear is that courage and wisdom, it calculates risk. Um, fear avoids risk altogether. Courage and wisdom looks at risk and it calculates its risk. Fear looks to avoid it at all costs, looks to avoid risk at all costs. Uh, you remember I already said that uncertainty will always be uh, present, always. If you're waiting for things to be certain, that is a false idol. You're waiting for a false idol that will never happen. It will never come through. And so uh, that's fear. That's fear-driven uh, living is looking to avoid all risk at all times. It's not realistic, um, and there's certainly no life um, in it. It's, uh, we want to be wise in the way that we look at things, um, not necessarily just try to make everything as sterile as possible. You know, when some things, if we try to just sterilize the world to where, if we try to get to where there's no risk, it, it becomes just that. It becomes dead and sterile with no human contact. There's no life. Um, and so we want to be wise. So, you know, so what is, what does this mean as, as a church, as we're going to start meeting back together is I know some people are concerned of, you know, should we meet 
back together. Well, here's here's my recommendation. Um, let's be fueled by information and let's calculate risk. You know, is there a risk getting together? Well, yeah, there's always a risk. Is there a risk when you leave your house when you go drive somewhere? Yes. Was there a risk when you first asked your wife out on a date? Yeah. Was there a risk when you went to your first job interview? Yeah, there was. Uh, but we want to calculate what that risk is. If you're 78 years old um, and you have a respiratory uh, uh, condition and we're going to meet back together, you probably want to stay home. You probably want to stay home. That is, uh, that's courage. That's wisdom. That's being fueled by information and calculating risk. Um, if you're 30, if you're in your 30s, if you're in your 40s and you're healthy, my guess is you could probably come to church and be fine, you know, um, and we'll have hand sanitizer, stuff like that. Um, but that's what it means to calculate risk. That's what it means to be fueled by information. Um, you know, we're not going to sit around and um, cough in each other's faces or take turns licking each other's hands. Uh, that would be a little bit weird, um, but we're going to be wise. And so the last thing I have in here, courage versus fear, um, is that courage is, is focused on um, moving forward. Courage is focused on growth. Wisdom is focused on growth. And then fear is always focused on protection. Um, fear is just focused on just protect the status quo. Um, and this is why we want to be people of this. This gets me to my second thing um, that I want us to be praying for is number one, I want us to be praying as a church for courage. Number two, I want us to be praying that we'd be people of uh, vision, okay? People of vision. Write that down. We need to be praying for that. The reason I, I have that written down here is because um, courage focuses on moving forward. Courage and wisdom focus on um, our vision. Fear focuses on just protection. Just protect us. Just make sure nothing bad um, happens. And the Bible has a lot to say about vision. Look at that other reference I have, Proverbs 29, 18. You can turn there. Uh, I've referenced this before, and I hope you've got it memorized by now. This is on the subject of having a vision and keep moving towards that vision. Uh, it, Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. That seems a little overly dramatic. That really does, and unless you think about it. If you've ever been in a situation, whether it be at work or with family or with a group of friends or even just personally, if if you don't have a vision for, hey, we're, we're going this direction. This is where we're heading. We're going this way. We may make a mistake, but this is where we're heading. If you don't have a, a place that you're going, then you're just sitting there. If you're not moving towards a vision, then you're just uh, dying. Um, if, if you don't have a vision, the people perish. Why is that? Because when you don't have a vision, you just enter maintenance mode. You just enter survival mode. You know, your, your focus is no longer on the mission. Your focus is no longer on, hey, we want to share our lives to make disciples of Jesus Christ and to set captives free. It, your, your focus is no longer on that. Your focus becomes just survival and protection. Your focus, and that's just fear. Your focus just becomes, just protect me. Just maintain the status quo so that nothing bad happens. Um, and this is why um, 
this is why I think a lot of marriages struggle is this right here, is this reason right here. I think a lot of marriages have no vision for their marriage. I think their focus uh, is completely on just survival, just survival. Um, I'll say it this way. Kinsey and I, uh, we both went to OU, University of Oklahoma, and um, that's where we graduated from. And, and so we like watching OU football games. We really enjoy it. We like, I like college football a lot better than the pros. And so we'll keep up. Um, we'll keep up with OU football every year, um, and we'll watch some other games, and we'll watch the college football playoff. We really enjoy it. And OU, um, you know, they've always had a really good football program. Um, and But what we are notorious for is that we have a great season, and then at the end of the season, when it comes down to the bowl game or the college football playoff, we don't we just tank. We don't even show up to the game sometimes. And I, I say we like I'm a part of the they or whatever. You know what I mean. And so uh, part of the OU tradition is fantastic season. Um, and then when we get to the end, we get to the bowl game, we just, we just don't even show up. And I have watched this unfold year after year after year, almost to the point to where it's you can almost set your watch by it. Uh, this is what happens is that even at the end of that that playoff game or end of that bowl game, oh, you can be playing really well. But uh, what happens is sometimes we'll be up by a touchdown or two, and then this happens. And I can't, like, I don't know that much about football, but I can't stand this. What we do is we're doing everything right, everything's going great, and then we get a lead, and, and then it seems like, our team then says, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to do what's called contained defense. Which, what's that contained defense is you just keep everything in front of you and you just concentrate on not giving up the big play, right? You give up five-yard runs. You give up 10-yard passes. You give up all these little plays, but you keep everything in front of you. And I can't stand it because you've, you've lost the vision of what got you there in the first place. You've lost the drive of how you even arrived at that game or how you even got the lead. And this is how OU loses uh, these bowl games over and over and over and over is we get this what's called contained defense, which it really is just don't give up the big play. Just do, and, and this is uh, what I think happens with a lot of marriages, even with a lot of parenting, is we lose sight of our vision in our marriage. We lose sight of our vision in our parenting. Uh, this can be true of your career. We lose sight of our vision in our career, we lose sight of vision um, just in any area of life with our finances. And our vision um, is no longer purpose-driven. Now it's just protection-driven, right? Like some uh, parents, uh, some, some parenting philosophy is, let's just make sure that nobody gets pregnant or ends up in jail. Like, how, how, like I mean it. Like some people, their vision for their parenting is let's just make sure no one, we don't add to the population or we don't subtract to the population, right? This is just like a contained defense of just we can give up all these little plays but don't give up the big one. Or even with marriage, um, I believe if you ask, if you ask um, a large percent, maybe even most, maybe even most people, um, if I were to say, hey, what's the vision for your marriage? 
Um, unfortunately, most, I do think it's most, most people, they would go, and, and I, I think most couples, the vision for their marriage is the husband would, he would probably say it real eloquent, eloquently, but um, I believe most husbands would say the vision for my marriage is to try to not screw up. Or, or the vision for my marriage is to try to not upset my wife too bad. Or the vision for my marriage is to stay married, right? And those are all great things, but those aren't vision. What you're playing there is that's contained defense. That's just don't give up the big play. Just, you know, keep everything in front of you. That's not a focus on purpose. That's not a focus on vision. That's a focus on just protection. That's just, we just, just maintain the status quo. That's just survival. And so this is why as a church, that's the second thing I want us to be praying for is vision. Um, is that we wouldn't be people that were just focused on protecting ourselves, but that we would be people that we're, that we're willing. Um, this may sound dramatic, but this is just from scripture that we'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd die for my faith. Yeah, I'd die for Jesus. Um, and that we would be people of purpose and vision. So two things I want us to be praying for so far. Number one, pray that we'd have courage, um, which is acting in the face of fear. That doesn't mean being fearless. Um, and number two, pray that we would have vision and that we'd stick with our vision um, as a church, that we'd stick with the vision of we want to share our lives to make disciples of Jesus Christ and to set captives free. And then the third thing I want to do um, is, as a church, be praying for leadership. Pray for leadership, uh, that leaders would rise up. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Let me flip there. Matthew 9, 37. These are the words of Jesus. This is in red. Just start in verse 35. Matthew 9, 35 says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, and, and you'll probably know this if you've been in church at all, you'll recognize this. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And, and so look, he makes a statement. Um, his statement is, he says, look out. He says, look at the harvest. It is ready. It is plentiful. He says, look out. And, he's, and remember, he's looking at the masses. He's looking at all these people, and he has compassion on them, and he, and he compares them. He says, they're like sheep without uh, a shepherd. He says, they're harassed, and they're helpless. And he's So get the picture. He's looking out at these you know, hundreds, possibly thousands of people, and he sees these people that are just being harassed. I mean, that they're just being pounded with falsehood, that they're just being... Um, just harassed and they're just helpless and jesus says hey guys look at this he's he you know he turns their heads and he says look the harvest is so plentiful 
He says, hey, there, there's people that are just hurting. Don't lose sight of that. People are hurting. He says, look up. He says, the harvest is so plentiful. And then he follows it up with this other statement. But the workers are few. And, and so he's saying this, the harvest is ready, is ready. But the workers, the, those that will work and labor towards the God's purpose, those that will labor towards the gospel, he says there's very few. There's very few. And so he says this statement, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And, and then he says, this is what I want you to do. Verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out what? Workers into his harvest field to, to send out workers. And so notice he says, guys, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Therefore, pray for workers. Pray uh, for people to, be, uh, to rise up as leaders. Pray for people to go out um, and to reap the harvest. Pray for people that, that have eyes to see that people are hurting. Pray for workers that can recognize that although everybody appears to be doing great, everybody appears to be happy and healthy and wonderful, that pray for people that can look at that and say that's, that's not the case. Pray for workers of uh, the harvest. I'm reading a book right now, a, a different book than the one I referenced earlier, and it's about, um, it's just about the influence of screen time on us and social media, um, and it's, a, it's about three years old, so it's even kind of dated uh, in today's terms, and what this book cites, and you can look this up anywhere and everywhere, is it says that there, there's literally, and I mean the word literally, literally. I don't mean it like a 12-year-old girl, like it's so hot outside I literally died. I mean the word literally, literally. Uh, and, and he says in this book, he cites, he says there's literally hundreds, I mean about, about 200 um, scientific studies, peer-reviewed scientific studies on the effects of screen time and social media on teens and on adults. Um, over the past 14 years, since 2006, when the smartphone was released. And so this book is saying there's literally hundreds of scientific articles and journals and studies on this subject of the influence of social media on people personally. And all of them, all of them have the same results, have the same findings, is that uh, the more time we spend on social media, the more time we spend with screen time, we have elevated, um, uh, elevated, uh, what's the word, not risk, um, but just elevated results of depression, of anxiety, of people feeling isolated, people uh, struggling with suicidal thoughts. All, all of these studies point towards that, that what it's saying is that right now in our world, People are just hurting. People are struggling with mental health issues. Uh, people are struggling um, with just thoughts of suicide. And all of it says, this is, this is what's happening. 
Um, and so I want to remind you guys, like I want, just like Jesus did, you know, I imagine he took the, like I do with my four-year-old, how sometimes I take her head and I turn it towards <laughs> what I'm talking about is I could be talking about this thing and she's looking this way. Sometimes it takes your head and Jesus says, hey guys, and he turns the disciples' heads and he says, hey guys, the harvest is so plentiful. He says the harvest is plentiful. People are hurting. People are isolated. People are lonely. People are depressed. People are suicidal. People are self-haters. People hate themselves. Some people, like, they can't stand who they are. They don't know their identity in the Lord. And what Jesus says 2,000 years ago, and it's just as true today, is, guys, the harvest is plentiful. People are hurting. Therefore, pray for workers. We need workers. We need leaders. Uh, we need people that would have eyes to see past um, the Snapchat filters. We need people that have eyes to see past uh, the TikTok uh, filters. We need people that have eyes to see past all the cover-up, all the ways to cover up who we really are um, and, and to see people's hearts and to recognize, man, people are hurting. People are lonely and they need uh, people. And so the last thing... I want to say is flip over to Hebrews chapter 10. So head right. I want to point something out to you. So what do we do with this? You know, and I always want to make sure that our theology hits the ground, that we're not just talking from 10,000 foot in the air, you know, but that we actually talk about real, real things that we right now we need to talk about the coronavirus. We need to talk about social distancing. Uh, we need to talk about how does a church operate? How does a church still be the church uh, today? How do we how do we make sure that we're still behaving wisely, not foolishly? Hebrews chapter ten. Um, we'll just start in verse nineteen. Hebrews ten nineteen. You know, I want to I want to try to answer the question. You know, what do we? What do we need to be doing as a church? Do we just bury our heads in the sand and, and just say Jesus and go about like we normally would? Um, do we do we say, no, we're going to uh, require masks and no touching, don't look at me? Um, what are we going to do? Because we have to respond, you know, um, as the church starts coming back together. We have to have a, um, a plan and we need to stick to our plan. And so what do we want to do? Well, we want to be, you know, that's why we're praying for these three things. Pray for courage. Pray for vision, pray for leaders, um, and then I just want to point uh, this thing out as we move forward. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Um, the book of Hebrews was written at a time when the church was under attack. The church was under attack, and I think in my lifetime, we're going to see the church be attacked more and more. You realize the church is under attack right now, don't you? You realize what's happened in the past year. You recognize that, right? Is that if you would have said, if I, if I could go back one year ago and 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 I could travel back in time and, and can tell myself, hey, Russell, in the next year, at some point, all churches will stop meeting together in the United States. I would, I would have looked at you and said, there's no way. I would have said, absolutely not. Not in the, not in the next year. No way. And, but now when we look back, things have happened that we would have thought would never, ever, ever happen in my lifetime. Ever. The church is under attack, guys. And if we think it's been bad in the past 12 months, 
buckle up, ma'am. Buckle up. I think I think in in my lifetime, even in the next maybe in the next eight four eight years, we'll see. Um, I think some things are going to happen that's going to radically change the church. I think some things. I think the church is going to lose its tax exempt status. I think we're going to see a lot of churches have to really downsize. Um, anyways, that's a different different thing. Anyways, so Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is written because the church was under attack. Okay, Hebrews was written to uh, a group of Jews, a group of Hebrews in Israel at the time uh, when that guy that I'd mentioned earlier, Nero, who was the emperor of Rome, he, he was starting to attack the church viciously, viciously, and I mean started to slaughter and kill Christians uh, very publicly and for fun. And so as a response, the book of Hebrews is written to encourage uh, these believers because people are starting to be afraid. Uh, people are starting to act out of fear. And so look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. The author says, we don't know who wrote it, uh, but he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us hold unswervingly to what? To the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Again, I always want to point that out. Remember that that's one thing I can guarantee is that God is faithful. That's the only guarantee I can I can uh, make, or really the only one I can make about myself is that I will let you down. I guarantee I'll let you down at some point. But let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So this is me spurring you on. That word spur on, in the original language, it means to provoke towards irritation, but it means it in the positive uh, sense. Uh, it's like what you do with a horse. You spur them on. It's, it's, a, little, it's a little bit irritating at times. Um, but if you know someone's heart, your words don't have to be perfect, right? And so this is how we spur one another on, is make sure that people know your heart and then spur people on towards love and good deeds. Spur people on towards courage, uh, not fear. Spur people on towards vision, not just protection. Spur people on towards uh, being leaders, uh, not just being afraid. And then verse 25, he says, let us, now remember the context here. This is written to a group of Christians that they're hearing messages of Christians being publicly killed, um, horrifically publicly killed, and they're starting to be afraid. And so he says, verse 25, let us not give up meeting together. Look, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So I want to point out two things. Number one, he says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the, what's that word? Habit of doing. Some are in the habit of doing. So 
So think of it this way. For the past two weeks, we've just been online only. Why is that? Well, because we want to be wise because a, a bunch of us got the COVID-19 virus. And so we said, okay, we're going to take some time away. We're going to clean everything, right? That's, that's called wisdom. But there comes a point at which this thing that we do one time, there comes a point at which when we do it two times, three times, four times, five times, and over time, it becomes a habit, okay? And so this is his warning. He says, hey, there's some, there's some Christians out there that, that they're, they're not meeting together. He says, there's some Christians out there that have stopped gathering together. And he says, listen, if you're sick, stay home, right? If you're not feeling well, you need to stay home. That's smart. That's wise. But he says, the problem is some of them have made that one event and it has become a habit that that one thing that the first time they did it, it was like, this is weird that the first time they did it, like, this is not normal after they do it five, 10, 15, 20 times, what happens? It becomes a habit and it becomes normal. And so this is what I want to say to you, dear Christians, this thing that we're doing right here, this online church, this is not normal. Do not make this a habit. Don't do it. We're doing it right now uh, because a lot of us got sick. But this online church thing, this is not God's design. Do not believe that somehow this is the same thing as face-to-face -face interaction. Don't believe uh, the lies. Do not believe um, the Zoom um, uh, media. Don't believe that, hey, we can get together online. It's just the same. It is not the same. It is not the same. Don't fall into that habit. Make sure this always feels weird. Make sure this is, this is not the new normal. Uh, when people talk about the new normal, this is not it. This isn't it. We're going to get back together very soon. And that's, that's this, the, the, I'm pointing at my Bible. That's the uh, writer's uh, point here is he says, hey, some Christians have gotten into the habit. He says some Christians, they missed, they missed once and they're like, okay. They missed twice. They said, eh, okay. And then four or five, six times later, they says, well, we'll just, we'll just join them online. And I, I want to be really clear here. Online church is not church. It's just not. It's just not. Um, don't fall into this habit. And then the thing he says, but let us, what's the word? Encourage one another. What does it mean to encourage? What's the root word of encourage? Courage. So let us encourage. Let us place courage into one another. Or, or Really, it doesn't mean to put courage in. It means to exhort the courage that's already inside of you. And so this is why I want to encourage you. I want you to feel courageous um, when we're finished here. I want you to realize that there's a calculated risk of meeting together. There is. There's a calculated risk of, are we going to come back together and worship? Yeah, we are. Is it going to be a perfectly sterile environment with no uncertainty? No, it won't. It won't. I can't guarantee anything. Can I guarantee your safety? Nope. Nope. Uh, can't do it. I'm sorry. We're going to do our best. We're going to be wise, but we're going to be courageous, and we will not give up meeting together, right? Uh, we'll have hand sanitizer. If you want to wear a mask, you can wear a mask. I think that's a great idea. 
um, if you feel comfortable doing that. Um, if you're 78 years old and you have a pre-existing respiratory condition, I'd probably stay home. I'd probably stay home. That's wise. If you're in your 30s and you're healthy, I'd probably come to church. I would. Don't make this a habit, guys. Don't do it. So um, let me remind you, please, as a church, this is what we want to be praying for. Pray for courage. Pray that we'd be courageous in the, in the face of uncertainty. Pray that we'd be courageous in the face of fear. Um, number two, pray for vision. Don't lose sight of our vision. Our vision is not protection. That's not our vision. Our vision is to share our lives with one another, to make disciples of Jesus Christ and to set captives free. Guys, people are hurting. People are lonely. Uh, protection is not a vision. Um, survival is not a vision. It's not. So number two, pray for our vision that it keeps moving forward. And then number three, pray for leaders to rise up. Pray that we'd recognize, God, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are so few. Therefore, pray for leaders. Uh, pray for people to push forward. Um, and so this is what I want you to do is, even as we can't meet together as a group, I want you to be listening. And if you have, if you've got a pen, I want you to write this down. Write down someone that the Lord has put on your heart um, and, I'll, and, and call them or say, hey, let's go grab coffee or hey, let's go grab a taco or, you know, let's go grab a Coke this afternoon. The church still really needs to be the church and it needs to be the church now more than ever, which is not Sunday morning. That's just when we get together to worship. And so let this be a time where you are pushed. Let me encourage, let me exhort you towards that, is that the people that the Lord has put on your heart, follow up, follow up with them. You know, some people, they're not going to meet back together. They're not. Some people aren't. Um, some people are going to stay away uh, for a long time. And that's okay. That really is okay. Uh, but go after people, man. Call them. Buy him a taco. Call me. You can. I'll let you buy me lunch anytime you want. That's a standing offer. So, um, but yeah, guys, those are our three things. Pray for courage. Pray for vision. Pray for leaders. Um, let me lead us in prayer. Please, please pray with me. Lord, we just clearly at the start of this year, God, we want this to be the best year we've ever had so far, ever. I'm, I'm tired of seeing this stuff where let's tiptoe into 2021. No, let's kick the doors open to 2021 and say, <coughs> hey, let's do this. We're here. Let's kick the doors open to 2021 and say, this is going to be the best year we've ever had so far. Let's, let's run into it courageously with vision, Lord. Uh, I pray that we wouldn't be fearful, uh, that we'd realize you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline and a sound mind. And so, God, we just pray for these three things for our people. Is we pray for courage, God, we pray for vision, and Lord, we pray for leaders to rise up. And that we would realize leadership is just loving people. It's just being a worker of the harvest. Leadership is just calling up somebody and saying, hey, let's get together. Leadership is, is even just calling up someone in the evening and saying, hey, how can... How can I pray for your family right now? I want to know what you guys are going through. That's leadership, that we would lead people into discipleship, that we would lead people into setting captives free, that we would lead people into sharing our lives uh, together. 
And Lord, I pray that we would not get into the habit of not meeting together. I pray that we would um, not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but that we would encourage one another daily, uh, that we would impart courage to one another, uh, to, to be courageous in the face of fear, to be courageous in the face of uncertainty. Lord, that's our prayer. Uh, we pray these things for your name. Uh, we pray these things in your name. We pray these things in the power of your name. Amen.